Hello and welcome to the Spooky Shelf Podcast. I am your host, Joe DiCaro. In this podcast, I invite my guests to curate their very own Spooky Shelf, comprising 13 titles that they think is the best the horror genre has to offer. My guest today is Dale Driver, who I first became aware of on the IGN UK podcast, where he occasionally spoke about horror, and then later from his IGN Inside Stories video series, which is among some of the best games videos I've ever seen. You really have to go and check them out. This conversation was a real laugh, and I really enjoyed getting to know Dale. I had such a good time chatting with him. You're really going to enjoy this episode. Uh, if you haven't done already, then please rate Spooky Shelf as five stars wherever possible. Thank you to everybody who has done. I saw a few um, people rating it from my message last week, so that was brilliant. Thank you very much. Also remember to check out the letterbox list that Mike Leach has put together. Um, just search for Spooky Shelf Podcast on Letterbox, and you'll find the list of every film that is mentioned on Spooky Shelf Podcast. I'm going to stop waffling now, and let's go and put up a Spooky Shelf with Dale Driver. Now, my guest today, I'm very excited to have on my little podcast because I've been listening to the podcast that he's part of for about just over 10 years. So I'm joined today by Dale Driver from IGN. How are you doing, Dale? Hello. Hello. Yeah, I'm good. Thank you. How are you, Jay? I'm very good, Dale. Thank you very much. Do you want to just um, let everybody know what exactly is it you do at IGN, apart from, you know, appearing on the IGN podcast? Well, that's very much, uh, that's not a job requirement. That's just a bit of fun more than anything. But, um, so my, my lofty job title these days is, uh, executive producer of video programming, which trans, yes, I know, right? Which <laughs> actually translates to, I make videos about video games and movies. And then I, I help other people make videos as well, facilitate that. Uh, so yeah, just a, a fun gig, really, like getting to talk and make videos about games and movies and stuff all day it's pretty good absolutely yeah excellent stuff i mean you know i don't want to say dream job sort of ideas or anything, <laughs> but i mean that's approaching it right it's good yeah and no, i mean it's i've always considered it to be that uh, like i started at the company in 20 the end of 2015 and i remember everyone back home kept referring to me going off to london for the dream job sort of thing um and it definitely felt like that back then it feels way more normal now because i've been doing it for nearly eight years but um <laughs> yeah every now and again you need to sort of check yourself and just remind yourself that it's a pretty it's a pretty good opportunity i've, I've got in life here no it, yeah i mean that yeah absolutely i find myself in a, in a similar sort of position you know very fortunate in my job however once upon a time day i i used to be a gardener um, oh. And that is where I did a lot of my podcast listening. And that's where I listened to all my you know, IGN podcasts while I was walking behind a lawnmower. And there was one episode, I've just remembered this. <laughs> um, you were talking about how you used to work in, was it a manufacturing industry or something? I did. Well and remembered, yeah. You mentioned, I, I, this, there's a reason I remember this, because you mentioned, it was like, oh, um, so I, you know, I got out of one industry and got into an entirely different one. And that was very much the position I found myself in. Mm -hmm. You were very kind enough to say, if you want like a you know conversation about it, just tweet me or whatever. So I was like, oh, fucking hell, I'll, I'll give us a go. So I tweeted and um, don't worry, this is not bad or anything. Did I reply was, to you? You replied. Okay, with, good. <laughs> it, was, it was bizarre, and this is why it stuck in my head. So you replied saying, it was very, very nice, as have all our interactions been on social media. You've been very, very polite. You said, hey, Joe, here's a, an article I wrote about it, and uh, here it is. Follow this link. And the link was something like it was to daledriver.com or whatever, and it was all about this NASCAR racer. 
and it had oh. absolutely nothing to do with you whatsoever. <laughs> oh my god! So I think I know what happened. All right, this is funny. Uh, so the reason I did write a post about it all is because I realised I opened the floodgates by saying that on the podcast, uh-huh. and I had um, quite like um, I don't know, probably about fifty people or so like message me this, and after responding to the first few, I realised that everyone's kind of asking the same questions. Yes. So I did write it down. I put it on my, what I had at the time, which was a leftover from when I was a freelancer and stuff, my own website. I think I stopped paying for that website. <laughs> so I think it just came down, but I might've sent you a link not realizing that. And yeah, you get Dale Earnhardt Jr. is a very famous NASCAR driver. So if you That's search him. Dale Driver until a few years ago, he would be the only thing that came up. <laughs> now I, I, I feel like I'm competing with him a little bit now. <laughs> but, um, so very sorry about that. But like, if I'm happy to talk to you about it these days, if you want to. <laughs> well, it's a bit late now, Dale. I know, yeah, sorry. I mean, he's all right. He's off winning races and, you know, NASCAR, whatever. Yeah. He doesn't know how to program his SEO quite like you do. Clearly, Dale, that's what uh, we're learning. So. Yeah, exactly. You got it. <laughs> um, uh, so, yes, obviously on the IGN podcast, I've heard you a couple of times mention horror, um, mm-hmm. horror movies, horror games as well. Yes. Um, so that's what prompted me to get in touch to get you on the podcast. So um, if you're ready, Dale, we'll get started building your, your very own spooky show. Yeah, I just want to preface this by saying um, I, I wrote this. Everyone's got a clause. Right, yeah. No, but I wrote this. Um, like, I'm I'm 40 years old now, right? And I was the idea in my mind is now is always to be true to yourself. And not like when I was younger, if I'd have wrote this list, it would have been completely different because I'd have been trying to impress you. Right. Whereas now I write this list as like, no, this is the honest answer. So you may think of me, you may see some of these things. I think you're pretty basic, right? Absolutely not. Accept it. That's the truth. All right. I'm giving you pure truth. Uh, That's all I can ask you. for. Authenticity is absolutely the currency of this disposable digital age. Mm -hmm. So that's, I'm very much, that's what I'm after. I I want, I want people to say wrong turn six for one of these, you know, something like that. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Not going to happen for me, I'm afraid. (laughs) I mean, but there is an argument to say like, uh, just because something is popular and like, you know, a mainstream like stereotypical answer doesn't you know that's it's that for a reason and it's usually because it's left an impression on society as a whole like it's left it's left an impact and it's the reason our brains go to it first um i i'm just like i'm not trying to put any airs on and trying to be something i'm not you know i'm just gonna tell you this is exactly what i think that's what we want we want the dirty sweaty truth so (laughs) with that in mind dale (laughs) what was the very first horror film you ever saw so, and I bet you get this a lot, by the way. Um, there is a few answers in yes. here. Right. right. And, and I'm we sure... Wel- we welcome the, the honourable mentions. No yes. problem. Uh, so, I I have a, quite a, a terrible memory for certain things in the past. But I believe it was Poltergeist. But I, it could have potentially been Aliens. And the reason I think of this is because... Um, both of them were films that I watched at my grandma's house when my mum and dad had gone out on the town and I'd be being babysit by my grandma and she seemed to not give a shit about what I put on the telly at night and I would flick through and I would come across films on a Saturday night and um Portal Guys is the I didn't even know what it's called I just had a vivid memory of of the child watching the television and then being sucked in and you know and everything that comes with that and then Aliens, um, I had no idea what it was, but it's still to this day, I'd say it's my favourite ever film is Aliens. And I think not just because it's one of the first I saw, because it's just a bloody, bloody great film across mm, the board. Um, but I, I 
I feel like, you know, 70% confident it was Poltergeist. Excellent stuff. How, uh, what sort of age would this have been, Dale, then? Oh, probably about between eight and ten, somewhere around there, maybe, that's, I guess. So that's quite young, but I don't think it's not the youngest age that I've had, I guess, say, on the puzzle, mm-hmm. which is worrying. But. Yeah. Well, I mean, especially back in those days. Uh, so I was born in 1983, so this would have been about 1990, let's say. And like films weren't readily accessible on the television mm-hmm. as well. You know, you kind of the only time you get to see these films was like late on a Saturday night, I guess, would be the only time that they were shown on television, on terrestrial television. Um, so, yeah, I kind of like looked into it. But like, I don't ever remember having a sense of fear when watching them. Um, and this is this is me establishing like the the old I'm a tough nut narrative, uh, which will come across over times. But it's a reason I love horror games, and a lot of people can't quite stomach them. It's just, yeah, I I get a sense of a thrill and um, like enjoyment out of being scared, but not I'm not scared as in like I'm averting my eyes and can't watch a thing. Yes. It's just like I'm on a thrill ride, and I just like I've always felt like that. All, always looked out for the. Scare. There was a period in my life where I was all googling like, "What's the scariest films I can watch to try and like sort of push myself?" You know. Yeah, that that's a common theme as well. Actually, is that, that it's that's the sort of thing that as horror fans we're constantly chasing. We're constantly looking for that thing again. Mm. Um, in terms of like, I mean, we should touch on on horror games. I'm sure we will do throughout this conversation. There, obviously, given the nature of your job, um, I find that. I, I, I sort of I don't get particularly spooked by horror games these days particularly more mm-hmm. any, anymore if there's someone else with me so like my, my wife and I make a point of it that every year when there's a new Resident Evil comes up we sit down yeah I get the controller she plays co-pilot and we just blitz through the game together it's become one of my favorite things that we do but if I was to play that on my own I think I would get more scared by mm, it you know definitely. I, I don't know why it just sort of diffuses particularly that fucking the House Beneviento the first time we played that <laughs> oh my god oh uh, so funny story about that is um I was part of my job is I'm, I'm very lucky sometimes I get to play games quite early um I got to Resident Evil games I usually get to play a couple of weeks early and I got to play that section of the game but it's not like you can just go on the internet and talk to people about it because no one else knows. Yeah. So you desperately, the, you know, you've got colleagues who are there and you're like, are you at this bit yet? Are you at this bit yet? I need to talk to somebody about it. <laughs> and it's just like this. Yeah. I spent two weeks. I, I remember thinking that was like, uh, definitely like top five of one of the, the scary scenes I've experienced in a video game. And uh, scary is maybe not the right word. It's just very intense and um a different kind of fear you know when it's this child's laugh is just like and a giant baby thing it pushes it to the next level and yeah i just spent like a couple of weeks i think i spoke about it on our podcast when it came out saying like it's one of the most horrible things you'll ever play Mm. in a video game and um yeah the power of it's a bit lost now that everyone talks and jokes about it but there was that period in time there where I felt like the only person in the world who had seen that and it just lived with me, you know? Because <laughs> none of you know. None yeah. of you know <laughs> yeah. what Beneviento even means at this point. <laughs> um, but with but to your point on horror games, like I I genuinely believe um horror games can be more way more scary than films. Yes. Um I don't think they I don't think it's necessarily achieved often, um, because it takes a certain level of craftsmanship that we've perfected over you know 70 years of cinema you know and like games are still quite a young medium in comparison especially high fidelity games um but i think probably the most scared i've ever been 
about anything in terms of like what i've seen in front of me is pt which i think is easily the scariest game of all time and i think there's that sorry to cut you off there but i think like the the active nature of it the fact that i've got to push down and go forward like i don't have a choice when you're watching a film you know very passive and you're let the characters making those decisions when i'm having to make those decisions knowing that there could be anything around that corner Mm. there's something extra terrifying about that particularly when at the time like i remember when it came out people didn't know what it was that would trigger certain mm. events so it, almost essentially like having a seance with your games console like well if i turn this thing and then yeah, try yeah. to do this and then yeah I, I never actually played pt but i remember when you know people talking about it and thinking that just sounds horrendous there's um there's a few jump scares in there that are just yeah absolutely horrendous uh but one of them i remember i was ma- i made a video a couple of years ago which is actually a really cool video about the urban legend of pt and um there's a jump scare in there that i i specifically edited the video because i wanted to use that jump scare for the video and it still made me jump when i was editing it even though i knew where it was and stuff and but yeah i i remember with my now wife she was my girlfriend at the time we sat on the sofa and she my wife is not interested in games at all but every now and again she'll just sort of glance over and she was like enraptured by it just like what is going on here like this is horrible uh and it's because it, it's really simple as yes. well it's a simple premise and um, yeah i think it's just absolutely like masterfully done yeah absolutely it, it was um was it connected to silent hills was it that yeah one? so it was, it was supposed, supposed to be a teaser for- it was it was a teaser for um for kojima's That's and right. uh del toro's um silent hills which was a silent hill remake that got cancelled pretty sharply, and then they they've deleted that demo off the store now. The only way you can play it, if you, unless you want to go try illegal means, the only way you can actually play it is um, still having it existing on your PS4, um, which is crazy. And there's so many remakes of it now as well. But what what a legacy for yeah, what was basically a piece of promotional material mm. for a game that never came. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, and also it, it touches on the something that I think I, I end up talking about a lot when we talk about the horror TV shows is that horror's probably at its best when it's punchy. And by my understanding, PT's not necessarily... It's not a long game. It's just no. that one corridor, right? It, you can do it in, what, a few minutes? Half yeah, hour, you can hour? You can finish it, yeah, I think probably about 20 minutes. Um, but it could also... You could be there for six hours. Yeah. You know, it's very much down to the decisions you make and how, your ability to problem solve under stress as well. And some of the <laughs> and some of the solutions are ridiculous. And they took people on the Internet, like coming together to work out. Mm. Uh, I, I, I didn't. I, how have we got on for my first ever horror film into this know, deep dissection of PT? <laughs> immediately diverted. But no, I mean, back, back yeah. to the horror film, though, something I did want to mention about Poltergeist, which is Please quite go. which is quite interesting. Um, I don't think Paul Guys is like a particularly great film, to be honest. I think it's, I think it's, I think it's definitely um, was good for the time, uh, but as an adult, when I've gone back and watched it, it just didn't have the effect on me. Uh, but so interestingly, my dad uh, before I was born owned uh, rented videos, and this was before the days where like video stores were a thing. Mm. And those days are long gone as well now. But before that. Whereas he was like a home delivery service rental video guy. No and he, he had like, he would get the videos and then he would have people ring him up and say, can you bring E.T. round for me to rent for a week? And my dad would go to the door, give him E.T., they'd pay him the money and then he'd come and collect it a week later. It was just like a very local thing. It wasn't a, that a successful business because he wasn't doing it by the time I was born. But because <laughs> he did that, he had 300 maybe more VHSs in the house that were just oh, in drawers, right? right? Which 
honestly, like a big part of me growing up and like knowing so many films, like people to this day still make fun of me because I can like religiously quote certain films. And it's like, because I watched it 500 times, you know, as a yeah. kid. But anyway, I got, I digress. Uh, I was looking for Poltergeist. Bear in mind, I didn't know what it was called, but I must have had some sort of inkling what it was called. And I was like, I want to watch that again. So when my dad had gone to work and I had a sick day of school, I go rummaging through all the videos and I pick out one. I was like, this sounds like it's it. And I put it in and I started watching it and I was like, this ain't it. And that film was The Exorcist. Oh, shit. <laughs> and I was like 11 when I watched that film. And that was an eye-opening experience. <laughs> That's incredible. What I would have given to have had that sort of video library just yeah. lined up. That must have been absolutely incredible. Yeah. I saw a um, lot of films. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Poltergeist then is the first DVD mm-hmm. or VHS, however, whatever format you like, on your shelf, Dale. Yeah. Um, Let's say VHS because I'm looking through this. There is a significant 80s and 90s theme. So there's yeah. a, there's, there's a nice tactility about mm. VHS, isn't there? You don't get with like, you know, netflix or whatever or even dvds i suppose but mm. um okay the second film i'm gonna ask you for then dale which film scared you the most now i mentioned earlier that it's like again i'm doing this little humble brag and it's tough to scare me but <laughs> the ones i immediately like i just went instinct right when i was making these judgment calls and the ones that come to mind are films that i watched when i was a kid mm-hmm. that would um make me want to avert my eyes or traumatize me i guess traumatize is a better word because ones that would like stay in my memory or i have a nightmare about Mm -hmm. and i wrote two down and then i realized there's a common theme here and uh the common theme is transformations because the first one is teen wolf Mm -hmm. not necessarily a horror film (laughs) by any stretch but there is a certain transformation scene with michael j fox that uh well, I think I watched this one when I was like six or something. And that was like utterly hideous to me. And then also the second one is The Fly, which also has some gnarly transformation scenes and definitely fits the horror category a little more. Um, the Also the scene in The Fly when he's having the arm wrestle and it snaps the oh. bone of his arm. That, that still to this day, I can't see or think of having an arm wrestle. Like I've got... Uh, loads of nieces and nephews and every now and again an arm wrestle comes up and i think about i don't want to push too hard because i don't want to snap <laughs> their arm like i'm strong enough to do that <laughs> i don't want to brundle fly up. yeah <laughs> um and i feel like i never i've never watched uh american werewolf in london but i feel like that would probably be in this area as well if i had watched mm. it as a kid like i've seen the clips of it now and it's very much that that sort of stop motion puppetry uh aspect of the of the digital effects not digital effects practical effects going on and you know insane levels of like rubbery sweat going on in those growth scenes something about it really like triggered me when i was a kid yeah absolutely i mean it's funny you mentioned transformations actually because one of the one of the very first things that scared me like to the point that i got nightmares about it was thriller you oh know, yeah yeah that's he, a good that's another one yeah transforms into the i think it's officially it's a werecat and there is a commonality that well a link there that john landis directed that because mm. i think he saw american wealth in london and then thought i want to do that and on the podcast i recorded last week i made the joke that effectively his transformation into an even worse monster took place over you know <laughs> several years but and um, some people are still in denial about it exactly, exactly. <laughs> I, this is the thing i have this conversation about separating art from artists because yeah. I, I can't listen to his stuff now because i can't i cannot definitively say 
that when he sings the way you make me feel, I don't know that that's not about a child. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> is this a, is this a com- I mean, I can talk for the, about this, but is this where you want to go with this podcast? <laughs> Always, definitely. I mean, yeah, I, 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 I understand the the separating the art from the artist. I think there's levels to it, though. Yes. Um, yeah. There's certain things that just uh, I, I I just you can't hear or see without that just you know it coming to mind there but then there's certain people like like I, I cross the line for kevin spacey for example whereas like by all means like a nasty piece of work these days however he has been in some films that i absolutely love which seven for example like that's not on my list it should i feel like it should be on my list because i absolutely love seven mm. but like one of my favorite horror films of all time um and he is a major part of that film and i almost like I'm willing to accept that he's in it because uh, he's playing a monstrous character to be fair. Um, so yeah, that like I would never like, yeah, preach about this because I'm definitely guilty of, you know, um, separating the art from the artists, especially when in wrongans are involved, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. I, I do. I do appreciate what you mean with, with Kevin Spacey. It's very difficult when he has done like been in amazing films. I, I'm still not there with him yet. I'm still like, it's a shame because I love American Beauty. I think it's, mm-hmm. it's it, up until the point we knew what he was like. I thought it's an immaculate film, but it just changes how I feel about, particularly in that role where he is a predator. Yeah, I just, I just yeah, it's it, it's a. <laughs> but he's also in that American Beauty. He's also he's played up as the protagonist to a certain degree yeah. as well, you know. And yeah, it's it's a very it's a very like confused uh role in that film because like who are you really supposed to root for in that film and i know it's not a, it's not a traditional hero and villain piece right it's a complex everyone's shades of gray that's uh, yeah. like study but um yeah it, it's a, everyone everyone in that film but except for maybe mina Savari, but even then she's like the idea how she presents herself for the first half of the film you're mm. supposed to yeah consider her a certain way and then obviously you find out what she's truly like towards the end um yeah you know good film it was a good film (laughs) (laughs) i think i have tweaked it though the the people we are really supposed to root for is the um the neighbors jim and jim i think they're the only solidly good people in american beauty again we've strayed magnificently off yeah yeah (laughs) <laughs> the fly and teen wolf but, yeah i think uh, i think the i think the fly is a better one because i could think of two scenes that really traumatized me in that mm. one and it's a horror film so yeah right, let's go we'll, with the we'll fly. stick with the fly then that's absolutely yeah. fine the the scene that always will stick with me in the fly and i don't know why it properly freaked me out is when gina davis is having is she, i think she's having a dream and she dreams that she gives birth to mm. that sort of pupae sort of thing yeah 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 and that just it really wigged me out that one. It's a level of practical effects in that era that we'll never ever see. Or maybe you'll see again when somebody wants to do a nostalgia tribute to it. Yeah. But like that was so consistent during that era, that ridiculous practical effects um, that, yeah, it's got, a, it's got a great like tactile feel and, and sense of tone that, yeah, I, don't, I think it's a pocket of cinema that we'll probably never ever see like that again. Yeah. It, yeah. I mean, it's, well, the, yeah, the, as you say, there was a string of them in the sort of the eighties, particularly as well. Mm. The, you know, the um, that sort of rubbery effect for sure. Yeah. Um, okay, so the fly is the film that scares yes. you the most. Then, um, should we move on to your third? Yes, sure, yeah, sure, sure. Go for what, disc number three. I say disc number three because I I, th- <laughs> I envision myself like Kirsty Young. Um, 
Uh, shoot, um, right, shoot for the stars, man. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I do end every single episode of this thanking Raul Coley and Mike Flanagan. But for, I mean, eventually they will appear and do their own episodes. But yeah. You know. Weird uh, that you mentioned Mike Flanagan. He might come up again later. Excellent stuff. <laughs> Righty-ho. Uh, let's go for your... What is your favourite slasher movie, Dale Driver? Uh, again, here comes the preface. Um, sorry, so, sorry, Dale brackets, hard bastard driver. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, somehow on the UK podcast, or in the UK team in general, I kind of got that sort of reputation at one point. <laughs> Like Joe would always see like, oh, if there's trouble, oh yeah, get Dale to sort it out. And I'm like, if you knew me from back home, man, you wouldn't think that. Like, and I'm, I'm, I'm the opposite side of that. You know, I just because I come from a, you know, Joe comes from a posh little village, and I come from Coventry. You know, like a rough little city. Um, yeah, it's funny how that got established. But yeah, there we are. Uh, yeah, slasher. So uh, yeah, the preface is I'm not really a slasher guy. So I've never really watched the Halloween films. I've seen bits of them, but I've never really watched them. Um, but, uh, and the other ones, what are the other ones I'm trying to think of? Friday uh, Michael Myers, no, um, yes, from Friday the 13th. Well, I have seen a couple of Friday the 13th, but only only since the game came out. And I played the game first and then I was like, I want to actually watch these films. And I watched them and I was like, meh, a bit dated mm. now. If I'd have watched them back then, I'm sure I would appreciate them. However... One that came to mind, and I think it, yeah, it counts as a slasher, is uh, Nightmare Upon Elm Street is the first one that I think of um, in that genre. Again, another one I think I just stumbled into watching around a friend's house and the the opening section, you know, with Johnny Depp, a young Johnny Depp in it, um, you know, when they're being pinned up onto the ceiling and dragged around. It's just such iconic imagery that's in my head. And also... What a fantastic concept of, you know, a villain that haunts you in your dreams. I'm too scared mm. to go to sleep. Like that is for children as well. That is just an absolutely it, like it, horrifying concept. It just means there's no safe space, doesn't it? Yeah. That's all that mm-hmm. means. And it really taps into that extremely well. I had um Mike Munzer on the podcast who does the Evolution of Horror podcast, which uh which Gav's been on a couple of times actually. Okay. Um and he's very much one of the inspirations for me doing this, getting off my ass and making my own um, horror podcast. Nice. And he made the point about Wes Craven, about how Wes Craven sort of three or four times over the course of his career really changed the mm. face of horror cinema. He really did stuff that just... it. Ele- I don't like the phrase elevated the genre, but it just reinvigorated the genre and you can see the you can so clearly see the the trickle down effects of him doing a certain thing and then that becomes the mode for five ten years and then he does it again most horror most directors artists whatever if they could do that once i think they'd be satisfied in their career he did it like three or four times the man was an absolute genius so weird you mentioned that by the way um so i wrote a second one (laughs) which is Scream, Scream. which is also a Wes Craven recreation. Well, I mean, but I think, I think Nightmare on Elm, Elm Street is more, you know, traditional slasher. Yeah. But I think of Scream because that was my, that was actually my real introduction to there's a genre here. So I and never like slasher films never really like excited me. Like I said, I kind of avoided them. They seemed a bit silly to me. But Scream was the one that came along and said, this, there is a genre full of tropes here and we're going to parody it and we're going to flip it. And not only do they do that, but 
they're still doing that today. I think the most recent one, Scream 6, fantastic. Scream, whatever they call it. It was just Scream with a five in the middle of it, I guess. Um, also, like, fantastic. I thought 4 had its place as well. Like, uh, like getting a sense of the time and the period and then parodying it and, and like, telegraphing, telling the audience, these are all the things that you notice in films and we're going to play with that. And, um, yeah, I don't really consider it, like, a, an actual slasher because it's it's his own thing entirely you know it, it's a parody piece of um an examination of the genre yeah it, it's all, it's, i suppose you could call it it's a love letter to it i guess really mm. isn't it i suppose that's a, a phrase movies but yeah in a way but they also absolutely tear them apart as well you know yeah, they break them they the, break them the down yeah. it's usually they break them down and then usually by the end they realize they're exactly the same they fall into the same tropes um yeah I think the I think you're right. The most recent script, like the the fifth one, I really enjoyed. The sixth mm-hmm. one, I thought was great. I don't think it used New York anywhere near to the extent that it, it could have done. That the fact that it was in New York didn't yeah. really matter. It could have been anywhere. True, um, but I still really enjoyed it. There was, I, I think the uh, you're right. The only thing, the scene I think where they did use New York was in the opening scene, which I thought was fantastic twist. And um, what was good about that was that did use New York as a setting because it was the idea that this can just happen in an alleyway when people are around and nobody cares because it's New York and violence and crime happens everywhere as opposed to being a suburban small town where just nothing like this ever happens except for Woodsboro where it obviously always (laughs) happens but like you know that's the idea right it's this place where this murder is probably the thing they talk about for five years in a town like that whereas New York happens four times a night do you know what? Yeah. That's a, that's actually a really interesting reading. I've not actually considered it in that way. So yeah, no, I think you're right for that one scene. Yeah, the one scene. Yeah. I definitely when it got to the point where they had a secret secret base in New York and so it's like it's a little bit silly there. But <laughs> um, again, like I always think I've got the twist, and oh, they always they always get me. So you know, yeah, there's yeah, always an extra true. element to it that catches me. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I really love Scream. The first Scream was just like absolutely like instrumental. For reinvigorating horror as well, in gen- across the board, I, yeah. like, I truly believe. Um, to go back to Nightmare on Elm Street, then, would you believe, mm-hmm. Dale, you were only the second person to say that Nightmare on Elm Street is your favourite slasher, which I think is bonkers, wow. because I think it probably would be mine. It's, it, I, I don't know how recently you've watched it. Oh, not for a long time. Do you know, it still holds up, and it is still genuinely scary. Mm-hmm. Like, so I, I introduced it to to my wife a little while ago, and I was like, "Ah, it'll, it'll be, it's fine. It's fun. It's a bit ropey. Like you know, the prosthetic will be a bit weird, and then it does turn into Home Alone. But you yeah, know, you'll be absolutely fine." We're watching it, she's petrified. And I'm like, "This really holds up." Yeah, I was really, really it's impressed a, it's, with it. Yeah, I honestly think it's 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 core concept right, and they are from what I remember, they, they're very clever with. They don't sort of overexpose Freddy. I feel like he's always like, almost like a figure in the shadows that can strike yeah. at any time, um, from my memory anyway. And um, yeah, you're right about the home alone aspect of it at the end. It's like, right, let's all camp down and we're going to keep each other awake and lay traps and stuff. Mm. Uh, but like, yeah, like I imagine most people pick like Halloween, Friday the 13th, things like that. Not a single person has picked Halloween. Whoa. Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? That's I, like the I prototype really... slasher. Really. That's it. I thought yeah. I'd be talking about Halloween till. You know, the cows come home. But then, no, uh, what seems to be the case is that the vast majority of people say scream. Oh, really? I mean, yeah, yeah. again, like I said at the start of the podcast, like it may seem like the basic answer, but, you know, enough voices are correct. saying it. It's correct. <laughs> yeah, enough voices are saying it. It's the one that made the biggest impression. And yeah. I think it's like, 
it's the second impression of slashes right the first one was established with halloween friday the 13th and the ilk uh and then scream was the revitalization of the genre mm. and like it was just like and for people of my age and maybe slightly younger as well it's almost their introduction to it sometimes as well yeah so. yeah absolutely okay great so nightmare on elm street with the honorable mention to scream mm-hmm. uh the fourth vhs that i'm going to ask you for there what is your favorite ghost or haunting horror film this, I'm, I'm realizing this is a bit of a weak spot of mine the number of times that people say something i'll go oh yeah i've not seen that. I, f- I, f- I feel like you'd seen mine too like i said basic but uh uh so uh, a recent one i really want to shout out is the conjuring series um, I think uh, specifically for some reason, the one that really like resonates with me the most was Conjuring 2. Um, and I think partly, I mean, it was in the UK, so maybe say. that helped. <laughs> <laughs> but I also think I went to like a, uh, I was lucky enough for work to go to a screening of that. And it was like a first show screening. And it was in a place in, Lo- in London in Waterloo called The Vaults, which is like, oh, yeah, yeah it's too. really like, yeah, underground, sort of under the subway um subway what am i american <laughs> underneath the uh, underneath the, the uk oh yeah the subway <laughs> yeah. just off the sidewalk yeah. you know? <laughs> get myself a dr pepper from the cooler yeah um right yeah so yeah it's really like this moody environment and i it was one of those experiences um that where people were screaming like people were like who didn't who went to this because maybe they were an influencer and they got an invite but they didn't really know what they were going to get and what they really get is this utterly like sort of um haunting film about possession with um, devils and demons you know and a lot of religious iconography and uh, it's it's an intense experience and i remember it vividly because of the way the audience reacted to it um i think on paper i haven't gone back and watched them in a while but i think probably the first one was a, probably a better film um but yeah the t- second one really left an impression with me but, it's also got my favourite um, sort of setup. It's got Chekhov's broken tree stuff, yeah. <laughs> which I really enjoyed. <laughs> yeah, uh, but that's not my answer anyway. That's that's a, that's a modern one. But I think uh, going back to the eighties, I think this was eighties. It was like late eighties, early nineties, somewhere around there. Was the original Candyman? Oh, that's an excellent show. Yeah, mm. what's funny? People have said Candyman, but not necessarily for this question. So, yeah. I, no, that's great. That's interesting. Okay, tell me about um, tell me about your experience with Candyman. So again, it's one of those films that I just sort of stumbled across as a kid. Um, but I think it ha- it shares a lot of now that I think about it, it shares a lot of similarities with uh, Nightmare Upon Elm Street and this idea that this is this inescapable force uh, that will hunt you down at all times, and you've unleashed it into the world, and there's no escape from it. And um, there's a certain extra fun, <laughs> I hate to use the word fun, but an extra element to it where it wasn't just about hunting someone down to kill them. It was about destroying their life and everything around their life as well. Um, and it also felt incredibly real because that that situation, not necessarily how Candyman came to be, but how... You just you know they'd they'd visit those uh, the projects in America. I'm not sure what part of America it was. I want to say somewhere like Detroit, but um, you'd visit those projects and there'd be just these murals to this local folklore, and it didn't feel like it was from 500 years ago. It felt it like it was from 50 years ago, and yeah. that made it feel real. And oh shit, this could happen. <laughs> Which you're sounds right. silly when it's like a like a ghost story, basically. But yeah, you're right. There there is a 
what is it? There is a there is a real sense with Candyman that it could just happen, doesn't it? Mm. Particularly as you said, your point there to saying like you know there's a mural on the wall and it's not like you know a um, it's not ancient, ta- yeah, it's not a tapestry yeah. or whatever. But then they have this tradition of the bonfire at the same time, which is almost folk horror, yeah, in yeah. that sense, but in a completely urban setting. Mm. It's do you know what it's. If, I was listening to something the other day and, and someone was posing the question because they were just going through all the slash and stuff and saying like, would you consider Candyman a slasher? Because in certain circles it is grouped in yeah. with your yeah. phrase and Jason's. And I, I don't know if it is. I don't no. think I would consider it a slasher. I think, yeah, more sort of... It's a, it's, it's a it's psychological a, horror. Like, yeah. I mean, because like I said, he's not... He's talking to the victim almost a lot of the film like he's on her side all the way through it and he was like you just have to accept your fate now i'm gonna break your life down or you're going to break your life down through a vessel of me until you accept that this is who you are now that this is what is going to happen to you and there's just like this impending doom all the way through it like there is no escape from this thing and you just watch her life crumbling around her while she's being sucked into this it's it's um yeah yeah like the more i think about it more i think like i need to watch this film again because it's fantastic yeah I never watched a remake or the sequel, remake, recall, whatever it is. Um, do, do you recommend it? Uh, um, uh, what I would say is absolutely yes, but do watch the first one for a catch first. Just to, just to refresh, there's no sort of like, like if you just watched it like with a, a understanding of what the, the first film was, you, you'll yeah. get on with it. Absolutely. No problem. It is enriched by, Okay. Have it, because I think when I watched it, I watched the original the night before I went to go and see it. Right. Um, and I watched it. I watched that with a double bill with. Oh, what was it? There was some other. Some some other house. I can't remember the name of it now. But yeah, uh, we went and watched it straight after. And there there is a a scene that well there's there's a shot towards the end of the film that made me cry. Okay. Because I I don't want to give away too much, but it was a lot to do with time that we so it came out i think it was 2021 and there had been events in what you might call recent history that are absolutely brought to the fore with the new Candyman that just hit me so hard it was one shot and it's a silhouette and that silhouette okay i just absolutely started sobbing in the cinema it's so moving honestly i do remember when it came out and i remember saying to my wife i really want to watch this um you should we should probably watch the first one together because she'd never even heard of it Definitely. and then it's just one of those things that just never happened you know yeah, we meant yeah. to do it um and um i don't know now's the time she's heavily my wife is heavily pregnant right now so i don't know if now's the time to put oh, her yeah. through these experiences <laughs> <laughs> i think it's fine if you are a fan no yeah. problem at all if you're not maybe avoid the stress yeah, of a horror yeah, movie, yeah. So. we'll wait till the baby's come <laughs> yeah absolutely excellent stuff candy man what an, do you know what i'm gonna watch that yeah i do want to watch it again. <laughs> it is worth re-watching and then the new one 100 percent, is worth visiting um mm-hmm. so then uh i wonder if i might know where this might be going now but dale what is your favorite horror tv show oh no is it really boring that i'm saying haunted hill house like everybody no, it, else no it's not because uh talk about haunting hill house and then i'll tell you what i think about mike flanagan so okay so f- for context i've met mike flanagan and i've done um we did, yes, I, the, I made a really yes. cool video with him um oh and also fair play to that guy when he came into our office that day uh, like i don't know how you 
if you know how it works on the press scene junkets is usually it's like five minutes, 10 minutes in and out of places, right? They're just, they're carted around all day. And when he got to us, I'm sure he was expecting to be in there 10 minutes and leave. But we said, no, we've got your PR to agree. You can sit down with us for an hour. And we're just going to talk about every single film that you've made in detail. And we made a video, I made a video about it and I'm very proud of that video. And, you know, I encourage people to watch it. I think it was, it's called like the new master of horror with Mike Flanagan. Um, Definitely check that out. Uh, But yes, he was full of cold that day, like proper full of cold. So much so that we had to constantly stop so he could blow his nose in between takes (laughs) and stuff. Um, And he was an absolute trooper. He was lovely. So I've got nothing but love for the guy. I think his catalogue going up to probably Bly Manor, um, is like just just non-stop bangers hit after hit after hit and um well not you know not commercially but like hit in terms of you know creatively um and then i i wasn't a fan of blind manor and then i wasn't massive on doctor sleep and uh what was his most recent tv show midnight mass no i love midnight mass absolutely okay. love that show i should have said that in fact thinking about it but uh listen i'm i'm not gonna stop you because i mean regular listeners will know what i feel about midnight mass but i mean it's up to you oh that makes me want to stick that makes me want to sit with midnight mass to hear what you think if you're like completely on board or the opposite um um no do you know what i'm gonna stick with uh horns of hills and there's a there is a specific reason beyond it just being a really good television show. Um, and that was for me, like I worked where I work now when that TV show came out. And I don't think until that point, I'd never experienced it where we treated a horror TV show like a Marvel show where it was like every episode was combing for clues, combing for information, making videos about all the secret ghosts that you missed in the background. (laughs) And it really like more than anything else he's ever done and a lot of things that come up on netflix it really captured that zeitgeist that moment in time where everybody even if you didn't like horror was talking about haunting of hill house and i think that is such a rare thing especially for horror television like that i think it just has to be commended it it goes back to something i was saying earlier about how horror is best when it's punchy and Mm. you know drawn out i mean i think we're all we all got slightly fatigued with the walking dead because it was the same thing every yeah every series um i think hill house absolutely proves that it can be done you can sustain horror over a series and i think he did say you know it's every single narrative camera special effects trick everything he knew he just threw it at hill house and that's yeah the result of that it's absolutely phenomenal i think it's a perfect show i'm just quickly googling my finger because i need to look at to check yes it's the midnight club that was the one i was thinking of that is Uh, i thought was terrible and i watched one and a half episodes and turned off i think i got to a similar i think i may have done a couple more but yeah, absolutely. Tell me what you think about Midnight Mass. I need to know now because I okay. love it. Okay, well that's that's exciting because I mean, I, you know, if you're a regular listener to this podcast, I do apologise. I'm doing this again, but I don't care. It's my <laughs> show. You can fuck off. Okay, so Dale, this is what I think about Midnight Mass. I am 30 years old. I turned 30 a couple of months ago, and I've been obsessed with stories and uh, books, comics, films, games everything since i was a kid i've if i'm not thinking about anything i'm thinking about a show i'm not thinking about what i need to do later that day i'm thinking Mm. well maybe was it 
was it Freddy at that point? Was it Alfred? Maybe he's saying that because he didn't know which knot he tied. You know what I'm talking about, right? I know what you're talking about. If it (laughs) was a horror film, it'd be in my list. (laughs) (laughs) So there is, there's a, you know, every, every waking moment I spend thinking about, you know, thinking away, head in the clouds. Um, Midnight Mass, uh, it, when I, I watched the first episode of Midnight Mass, there were two things that I looked at that I was like, I fully understand where this is from. There is a, a, so there's a scene where, um, hang on, I've got, to, I've got to remember which order it is now. When Father Paul drags mm-hmm. a case into his house that is a very, very overt reference to Dracula. Yeah. And then there is a shot when Riley is in his childhood bedroom. There is a book on the bookshelf behind him. And it's a copy of um, Salem's Lot by Stephen King. Mm -hmm. And at that point, I went, there's no fucking way they're doing this. Because the whole market, it was just, it was all about this religious. Exactly. um, And then just suddenly to switch it into what it becomes. So anyway, I'm rabbiting on. Basically, what I've decided after my 30 years of everything is that Midnight Mass is the single best story I've ever had told to me. Oh, I wasn't expecting that. It's my favourite piece of art. It's my favourite narrative. It's my favourite everything. I am obsessed with Midnight Mass because it's like he made it for me. Because there's there's certain things in Midnight Mass that have occurred to me. I was like, that is a bit weird, particularly around the communion and what that represents, you know, that sort of thing. So it's like he just went, okay, so this guy's into Stephen King. He's into vampires. He likes religious stuff in horror for some reason because he has no faith. Um, <laughs> but then, you know, here's the... And he just shoved it into my eyes and went, that one's for you. Nice. I really thought when you were you were saying about the books on the shelf, I thought you were going to be like, telegraphed it, dull, like come up with a new idea. And I was ready to defend him saying he does that in every film that he makes. Yes. He always <laughs> puts books in the background. Um no, yeah, Midnight Mass is uh, something I regret slightly because I didn't watch it when it came out. I watched it about three months later because mm. what you said, the presentation of it was like, this is just about a small town where they got religion takes over and it would just be religious zealots, I guess. And it, it definitely is that rapper, but how they've used like like real situations that people find themselves in, in terms of, you know, religious indoctrination and and people trying to force their beliefs on you. And then it presented it as this this completely other ridiculous fantasy thing. And it made it really feel real. Yes. And how, yeah, how it's mashed these two things together. And yeah, it, it's very like, despite, you know, what it might seem at the, on the surface is very anti-religion, obviously. It's just really I, like playing it in a terrible light. And um, I can do nothing but support that. <laughs> I, I don't think I don't think it necessarily does. I don't think it is really? saying like oh, religions this this awful thing. I genuinely think there is a reading of it where I, I think uh, Father Paul absolutely he believes in what he's doing until the final episode. He absolutely believes what he's doing is right. But doesn't that is. doesn't that show you like for me? I read it as it it showed you like the stupidity and the levels that religion will allow people to jump to to justify things in their life. Almost, I, almost highlighting I, the like how moronic I, yeah. the, some of these things can be. You know? I, I do, yeah, I do fully understand that is that is a hundred, and I find it utterly bizarre that I'm sort of not defending religion, but I, I'm trying to see the other side of it because 
while it does do that, and while you do have Bev Keen being one of the most hateful characters yeah. in all of fiction, and you have Father Paul who goes, right, because of our faith, we are all going to do this thing. We're yes, it's going to be awful. Yeah. And it all goes to shit, absolutely. What it does bring to... Um, there are other characters, Riley's, actually, that are, yeah, that are religious Riley's and mom. they use it to their yes. advantage. Yeah. And, and the, the, conversa- the discussion of what happens after you die when um erin is talking about what she thinks happened and then riley talks about what he thinks happened, and then it ends with erin going back and and almost merging the two ideas mm. i do think that it does show it it does show religion in a positive way and also i mean we're talking specifically at, the, at this point we've only discussed the christianity side of it the representation yeah. of islam that you get through sheriff hassan and Ali, which to my mind, and this is why I thank Raul Coley um, mm. and Mike Flanagan at the end of every episode, is because that's my favourite story ever told. And Sheriff Hassan, I think, is my favourite fictional character oh, that ever existed. I, I adore him. Um, but I think what what his religion represents is where he's come from, from the persecution after 9-11 and having worked in the NYPD at the time the towers went down. And then just the shift into... And then they all started thinking, what if we've planned this? Hmm. And all that sort of thing. But he still remains that... He said it it was all about dignity. And he was like, yep, they can do whatever they want. They can be as horrendous to me as they want. I'm still going to respond with dignity until the point they go for his son. And then he's like, no, all bets are off. I don't care. I will kill you all. Yeah, but it definitely does feel. I I I read it as a sort of like an absolute teardown of Christianity, but also, yeah, like a celebration of his religion. I guess of it, like saying like, no, I'm in maybe not traditional stories, but the traditional narrative, you know, from thirty years ago, is that his religion is the bad. Yes, and the Western Christianity religion is the good, and it definitely feels like that's the other way around, flipped around on purpose. The idea is to play like he's the he's the moral compass here. He's the bastion of you know hope, and um, despite having a religion, what some people who believe in Christianity would consider like barbaric as well. Mm. And um, yeah, it's very interesting. I haven't watched it since it first came out. You're really making me want to watch it again now. I honestly, I, I go through it every sort of couple of months i'll just do a really? quick run through of it just to double check just, are you sure about this opinion like yeah no, was it the was it the third episode is when they show the the stuff of father paul cave. going yeah. in the cave at that that at that point i was like it had its hooks deep in me i was just like i fucking love this and uh yeah it was every night me and my wife desperately trying to watch the next episode and get oh yeah what a show and then it, uh, to come out with a midnight club afterwards is like oh yeah it's a shame <laughs> uh, do you know what but you know uh, but then he's doing Edgar Allan Poe next so i'm like mm. yep yeah, get that into my he's got a pretty good track record like i think um gerald's game is fantastic um what were the uh, like obviously the haunting i I think blind man was okay but haunting the hill house absolutely fantastic hirsch was good um even oculus was was all right i thought you know like i thought it was fun he's 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 had some bangers like he's doing a good job yeah i think he's i think mike munzer uh again he said that he thinks he's, he's the new stephen king I think, well, I mean, well, half his work is Stephen King. <laughs> I mean, and he's going on to do Dark Tower, which, yeah, um, yeah. 
I'm not such a fan of, but no. yeah. Um, so yeah, Hill House. There. Mm, yeah, there we <laughs> got there. spoken for so long on Midnight Mass. Yeah. Hill House. <laughs> no, I, I like, I do, I think for me they're on equal sort of levels and I think Hill House takes it for me because of how much it sort of took over my life for that small period and it took over the yes. world. Whereas I feel like Midnight Mass sort of, you know, like film people and TV people, I loved it, but I don't think, like my mum didn't watch it. And then I especially watch Hill House. You know, it's it's, yeah. it's that I think cultural I impact. <laughs> Excellent stuff. Well, I mean, what well, fantastic discussion of Mike Flanagan and religion. So yeah. that's good. <laughs> <laughs> we're doing religions. We're doing uh, wrongans. <laughs> what else can we do? <laughs> right, politics. All Here the taboos. <laughs> yeah, the Tories. <laughs> oh, don't. I live um, in fucking Tory middle class white Tory central as well. So that's, yeah. That's, yeah. that's where I am as well. Although apparently, you know, not recently, which oh. is encouraging. Good, 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 good. Um, uh, okay, the sixth VHS I'm going to ask you for is uh, which horror movie has your favourite jump scare, Dale? Mm, so, again, you know, you know, I established this narrative of, of, of hard ass, hard ass, hard bastard, hard bastard. I, I, I don't know how what the uh, dexterity <laughs> of my ass is. Oh, it's never been called <laughs> hard before. Anyway, uh, the yeah, hard bastard. So, like, jump scares are something I experience more in games, I think, than mm. uh, movies. However, there was two things that came to mind, and one of them. So one of them is definitely a kind of jump scare. It's more of a shocking moment, which is in Hereditary when um, Charlie's head comes off, and I was not a tree. Yeah, exactly. They are so good. Um, Yeah, not something I was expecting, but I wouldn't say it's necessarily a jump scare. It's more of like just a didn't see that coming, you know. Uh, But the thing that comes to mind and this might seem weird, is Paranormal Activity 3. And I don't think it's necessarily the jump... There are jump scares in that film, but I don't think it's the jump scares. It's the anticipation scares. Mm. And there is... I don't know if you remember it or if you ever saw it, but there is uh, this great, like, genius device in this of having a camera that's on a rotation, like a very slow rotation. And there's several scenes in this film where a camera, and obviously it's like a security camera in the house, is pointing one way and it slowly rotates away. Then it waits a beat. Then it slowly rotates back. And several times in this film, it happens and there's nothing on the other side. Mm-hmm. But you know, at some point, there's going to be there's gonna be something there, right? And it uses this device like masterfully. Like, I don't think Paranormal Activity 3 is a good film at all but i think it has this one genius idea that i would love to see someone a better film <laughs> use but but i watched i just i had to remind myself earlier so i went on youtube and just watched a couple of clips of it it's like masterfully done i mean i, I think those films are like especially the first one like supremely clever uh for the time as well like perhaps a bit dated now but um like masterfully done in terms of using modern techniques and just a different way to present horror you know and um yeah that I don't have one particular that comes to mind. I just think the entire film of that, you know, that like expectation scare. Mm. Yeah. Um, fantastic. Is, is it Paranormal Activity 3 where they've sort of taken apart a fan and it's on the fan? That's what it must be, the fan, yes. So I couldn't actually remember what it was. I just remember, I just have the imagery of it in my head. of yeah. that happening. I remember being in the cinema or watching at home, I don't know how I watched it, and just, just feeling like on edge, grabbing my hands on the edge of the seat, just thinking... When am I gonna? When is something gonna happen for this? Um, yeah, like the suspense is, is is like incredible. That is something that I think is 
something of a, well, maybe it isn't a weakness, but of the paranormal activity films, I think they are best, well, like all films, but they are particularly best experienced in a cinema because if you're, where so little changes from like, from sweep to sweep or just like, even when it's static camera, you know, a door moves and you freak out, right? Mm -hmm. If you've got slight distractions going on in, in the room, even like, you know, light reflecting off the wall or whatever, you can miss quite a few things. Mm. I think you lose that tension quite quickly. In the cinema, though, they're so much fun, those yeah. movies, just to sit there and just be like, oh, fuck, just be t- like a ghost train. I think mean, you're, you're part of the journey with everybody, right? You're all, like you said, yeah, yeah, you're part of the ride and it's all waiting for that that big moment because a, a good chunk of those films is about about waiting right it's yeah. waiting like static cameras of people asleep and you know because it's in the film someone's gonna then you know this chekhov's <laughs> static shot i guess <laughs> <laughs> yeah and it's like this idea that it's, it's coming when but when is it coming you know mm. um yeah Absolutely. i think i think it's paranormal activity three but there was because what i thought you were leading up to because you say oh, i'm not sure if it's a real jump scare or whatever i seem to remember there's a bit where one of the characters i think he must pick up the camera and he's running through a door and he pulls this door open and there's just a whole load of people in front of him yes that is three that's the end of three i think that's yeah. right yeah so that that made me jump like fucking crazy yeah. that's the bit that sticks in my head with uh paranormal activity they, i do need to watch those again actually. yeah they, they, i mean they, i think i think they're kind of they feel like a little bit lost to time you know like i don't feel like people talk about them anymore but i remember when they came out they were just like in the first one it's a yeah, mega yeah. success and there is that element of like a little bit like what we we're saying with Candyman earlier it really plants yourself in a real situation it feels like you're watching someone's home movie and the 99 percent of the film is a normal house and normal things going on. And then when it really throws in a complete spanner in the works into that scene, it really resonates. And it's, uh, yeah, there's something, the idea about it could be your bedroom, you know, mm. which is your safe space, right? You know, my safe space has been invaded. And I suppose you could say the same, well, The Conjuring does that as well, but there's something about seeing it on a home movie camera as well. that really helps yeah. it push through. I, I, I certainly find found footage to be much more effective as if something's going to scare me or make me feel a bit like, oh, I don't know where this is going. Found footage is 100% the thing. We're going to come back to found footage and I bet <laughs> you can't guess what film I'm going to talk about. <laughs> I'm hoping it's not. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> okay. Deodato's Cannibal Holocaust. But, you know. <laughs> okay. Um, we've arrived at my favourite uh question okay to ask you because i get such a plethora of answers with this one so um which horror movie and this is deliberately vague which horror movie had the most emotional effect on you so my reading of this question was um because it's horror my initial reading was fear right what is the thing that's like created a, a moment in me which is fear um and the first it always comes to mind straight away um i've got a few cinema experiences but this one was one that really resonated with me and like i said earlier i'm 40 years old so i'm old enough to have gone to the cinema to watch the original saw right not necessarily um like uh revered series these days however the first saw is i still stand by i just think an absolute like masterpiece you know apart from take out some of the there's some ropey acting in there but <laughs> uh, like as a construct as a like an idea I think it's an incredible piece of work. And the scene, the reason I think of this is because uh, I went to see this, I, I must have been about 21, and I just moved out of my parents' home. And I was living with, uh, I moved in with a friend, 
and I went to the cinema with another friend, but I was going home alone because my other friend was away somewhere. Uh, and it was a in the first period of my life really where I'd gone to empty houses really. Cause I always like, you know, I shared a bedroom with my brother when I was growing up and stuff. So there was that aspect of it. I was kind of like going back late at night to a house on my own, which kind of scared me. And, um, in Saw, I don't know how well you remember it, but there's a scene where I cannot remember the main guy's name, but where he's, um, it's a flashback about how he got kidnapped and he's entering his home and he can hear noises and rustling. And he's a photographer and he's got mm-hmm. a flash camera with him that has a charge on it. And there again, this is suspense horror, right? This idea of like this anticipation of something coming, uh, but he's going through his house, flashing his light. And then at some point, you know, there's going to be something on the end of that light. And there is inevitably. Um, but that scene really like stuck with me. And then I got home that night and it was in home alone and it was dark. And I just, all I could think about was that. All I could think about was, is there going to be someone with a pig's carcass on their head <laughs> in the cupboard, ready to stab me with a needle, you know? Uh, so yeah, I just, I remember it sitting with me all night. I remember all night just thinking about it, that scene. So yeah, definitely had an emotional impact. You You are absolutely correct on your observation about how, brilliant sort is i think because there have been so many of them it's quite easy to forget Mm. you know how impactful the first one was and then you just have the law of diminishing returns we see that you know time and time again in horror with you know as we're saying paranormal activity nightmare on elm street Mm. friday well i maintain that the sixth part of friday 13th is the best but yeah um, yeah occasionally you get you get a hit in the middle of there but ultimately (laughs) that these films yeah Maybe I think like Scream is maybe like the only one that doesn't sort of like, even though it's got, you know, Scream 3 isn't very good, but it's got the, um, it's got a level of consistency and new ideas where Friday the 13th, for example, is just like regurgitation of the same idea. Um, and you can see it feels like a cash grab. Same with Saw. Saw definitely like, I don't know if you watched Spiral. Um, that I, film I, 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 I gave it a miss. Actually. Is it like, the, so it, it's one of those films, right? Like you just said, you watched Friday the 13th part six because I love the first source so much and I think two has merit as well. Um, I still watch them even though I can see they're bad. And, but spiral was the straw that broke the camel's back. You know, it was like, it was so bad, like really bad that I have no interest in that series anymore. Um, but yes, unfortunately it's legacy is slightly tarnished because people think of it as, Oh, that torture porn series that's ran that did like a dozen films where the reality is, you, you, if it was the only ever the first one that came out, it'd be revered as one of the best like horror films of all time. Yeah, absolutely. It, <laughs> yeah, it, it would be nice if it was still, you know, thought of in that way. I hope mm. it is. Maybe, you know, we see this, don't we? Occasionally, there's films that aren't thought of as brilliant that in later years are suddenly, you know, reappreciated. The one thing I will say about Saw is, um, unlike some of the other films in the series, that kind of, like, you know, the first one will still maintain its legacy. They've done everything in their power to bastardize that legacy of the first one because yeah. they constantly change the narrative and change the past to suit it to a, to change everything you thought about the first one. But it's like, yeah, but you've actively made it worse. So, yeah, I, 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 it must be there must be absolutely bonkers meetings when they're like, right, how do we meet all these points? <laughs> yeah, and yeah. Make every you know, there has them- to be a new revelation on every one, right? That changes the way you think about the series, but. That it can only do it so many times. It worked a couple of times, but after that, it's just like this is just ridiculous. There's another mastermind behind the mastermind, yeah. you know. 
It, yeah, it just absolutely dilutes hmm. the you know, uh, you know his sort of modus operandi, isn't it? Yeah, it's just crackers. But yeah, no, Saw's a great answer. It's uh, yeah, Good. and that sequence is fantastic. Mm. It's absolutely brilliant. Uh, all right, then uh, the eighth film I'm going to ask you for then, Dale. What uh, was your best experience with a horror film in the cinema? So this is the found footage moment, <laughs> and it is the Blair Witch Project. Of course, which, it is. Yes. You said you're 30 earlier. So I'm going to be honest, mate, you, you weren't there for it. You, well, you were, but you weren't cognitive of it, I'd imagine. I, I was six. Yes, so. exactly. Yeah. So um, there was like, I felt tricked and everyone felt tricked, but in the most powerful way possible. I went to see that film not knowing what this is, just knowing that I saw a documentary on MTV about it that played it off as if it was real. He'd never be able to do it these days. But there was that period in time, again, the word I use is zeitgeist, right? That moment of time where people didn't know what it was, right? And it seems an old hat now because there's so many films that have come out after it that I found footage. But it was like like groundbreaking as well, especially because even when you watch a film, it is totally believable as a found footage for the majority of the film, right? Because it's not, there's no cinematic flair, there's no Hollywood sheen. There's no great twists. And the character development is weak. Like the characters, are, you know, are just basically some kids that go into the woods and they just get more and more scared as they go. Like there's not rich, the con- like it's all conflict. There's no like resolution or anything like that really. Um, so yeah, like on paper, it should be terrible. But it was that moment in time that it's, it was part of, I think, that just made it a very weird cinema experience. Like I was, so it came out in 1999. So I was 16, like probably shouldn't have gone to see it, but I I did go see it. Um, And I always remember like the stunned silence at the end of the film, which was like just a so powerful experience. Like everyone was like, what was, what did I just see? What, what actually just happened there? And then the, the flip side of that was one guy. I always remember this standing up. In fact, it's one of my two favourite cinema memories of all time. And the other one was Borat when I saw someone <laughs> screaming and crying with laughter and rolling down like the aisle. Literally on the floor, like rolling a screen and the whole room is screaming. Uh, but that's a different experience. Uh, but yeah, this, that, and then this one where it's like stunned silence. Everyone's just silent while there's just like, I think from what I remember, the credits come up and it's just like a sort of backgroundy noise or very, very subtle tone. And um, one guy just stood up and went, what a piece of shit. And then just got up and walked out of the cinema and loads of people started laughing and it broke the tension a little bit. Um, so yeah, I, I love the Blair Witch Project, but I can understand that on paper, it's not necessarily a good film, um, but it was that moment in time that I really captured that I think makes it powerful. So I, I think it is a good film. Really? It's genuine. Yeah, I think it is a really good film. It absolutely does what it sets out to do. Mm. You know? I agree with that. I just think, okay, so... From examining it from a film studies sort of perspective, but then you know, like that, you know, often the, the things that stand out are the things that break the rules, right? So, um, but I think, yeah, like I said, like I don't care about any of those characters, they're all slightly annoying as a film, and the ending is like that. Like, there's, there's no redemption story or anything, there's no like, hero's journey, there's, there's nothing like that. Um, but what there is is just a shocking ending to something that at the time was believably could easily be believed as a documentary Mm. i think there's also there's a couple of bits that do really really help with that sort of the the creating that (coughs) 
verisimilitude of it is the mm. fact that there's just that really weird decision that they that the filmmakers made that is like okay so what we'll do is we'll have the visuals from one camera but you're getting the sound from mm. the other camera in the other room that's such an odd decision but it works so well because yeah. you're just like you've got no idea what's going on it's like it feels correct but it's also like subconsciously like discombobulating like you know it's sort of throw, you know that that sense of like something's not right but i can't put my finger on what's not right yeah. um yeah i i also think like you'll never get uh like the story of how that film was made is just so fascinating as well and you'll never get an experience like that again can you imagine making a film now where you basically torture your actors you know like it just wouldn't happen for good reason right uh but it definitely pulled a performance it's kind of like the, the shining and shelly devar sort of thing right like it pulled a performance out that was just like so memorable and once in a lifetime but it took horrible means to get there and mm. uh, so for like i said for right reasons that won't happen again but we've got that moment of time to like really see like what what that was you know it's just it's fascinating yeah the fact that they would just like give them cameras say shoot yourself and then they would just leave them out there and then they would watch them from a distance and then the actors would not know. It was almost like that scene in Tropic Thunder, you know, when they're like, oh, actually think they're filming a film. Well, these guys were legitimately doing that. Yeah, you know? yeah. Madness. <clears throat> and I think that ending is particularly disturbing as well mm. because, I mean, it's a throwaway comment, isn't it? It's, oh, she made the kid stand in the corner while she yeah. did the other one. And you see the guy standing in the corner. That is quite overtly like, it's almost... It, it, maybe not overtly but i read that as as an image of abuse yeah it's a child being told off to stand in the corner but it's worse than that yeah well it breaks us all down to being children right that idea of like even as an adult you can't escape that you know i've been naughty i've got to go stand in the corner sort of thing but then for yeah like you said for like real sinister reasons you know Mm. like um what yeah what powerful film Maybe this is the start of us, Dale, creating a film that's just a horror film called The Naughty Step. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Maybe. You never know. (laughs) I'll tell you what is weird about fan footage, right? Is that on some level, yeah, okay, the idea is someone's come along and picked up these two cameras and gone, oh, that's weird. But in the fiction of the thing, what they've then done is taken it to an edit studio and then stitched them together. Mm. I always find that really weird. (laughs) Well, in The Blair Witch, they really tried to ram it home. They found that this tape was found... And it was like just cobbled together, sort of thing, mm. just to show almost like I think they say, isn't the conceit that it's for the police or something? Like the police are going for this footage and they're trying to work out what happened to these missing hikers. Mm. And so for some reason, they're chronologically going through the footage <laughs> instead of just skipping to the end and seeing where they are. Yeah. It's like, uh, right. So at that point, when she's coming down the stairs, <laughs> he's over here. So we'll just jump to that one. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's definitely like, I can't even think of a good example of recent ones, but I think obviously Blair Witch and then there's obviously Wreck and then like Paranormal Activity as well. But outside of that, I feel like there was tons of copycats that just didn't get it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they were just trying to jump on like, uh, oh, we can make money from being a found footage film as well. Um, but a couple yes. of A couple of recent, um, I, don't, I hope I'm not stepping on any toes for your later films though, but a couple of recent recommendations of that sort of found footage thing. Host. Yes, oh, I love Host. Yes, that was really good, yeah. Uh, that was incredible. And Lake Mungo is the other oh, one. Oh, I don't know that one. No. Dale, you absolutely have to check out Lake Mungo. Okay, cool. It's It's been a couple of people have had it as their answer for the most underrated horror film. It's now starting oh. to get a bit of traction and people are starting to discover it. I cannot recommend Lake Mungo enough. It is okay. incredible. 
I'll definitely uh, add that to the list of the long list yeah. of films I need to watch that I've fallen behind on. Uh, the ninth film I'm going to ask you for then. What's the mo- what do you think, though, is the most underrated horror film? Right. So, I don't know if this is underrated. I think it probably isn't these days, but I definitely felt for a period in my life it was. Because I people would talk about their favourite horror films and I would always say this film and I'd always get like almost scoffs or like the idea of like, that's not one of the, that's not The Shining or something, you know, like, and uh, that film, I think it, because it ticked so many boxes for me, like it was like, like next level, like horror, like uh, just a fantastic sci-fi setting, which like, as I said, Aliens is my favourite film. It absolutely lent into that. And it was also this, inescapable indescribable overlooming threat that you like still to this day like what is this threat i don't know do you know what film i'm talking about are you about to say event horizon i am about to say event horizon yes <laughs> do you know what's what's bonkers the last episode that i recorded with chris glasson hi chris if you're listening that was his choice oh, for the most underrated cool. horror film. so i don't know if it is underrated because i feel like over time it's really become like celebrated a bit more but i remember as when i watched that film when i was younger and people would i felt like people dismissed it as like campy horror sci-fi um i'm I'm not sure but i i think i think it's like just an absolute masterclass in terms of um of how to present a threat in a horror film i think like blair witch did it as well this idea this thing that you that is inescapable but you can't see it and it manifests in all sorts of crazy ways, but you never truly understand what it is and what its motives are, you know? And, um, and also some like truly like disturbing imagery in that film as well. And I still uh, know some Latin phrases from that film to this day. <laughs> Liberate me. <laughs> oh my God. Chris said that as well. When he was recording last week, he started giving me the Latin as well. Yeah. <laughs> That's incredible. That's happened twice. Um, yeah. I mean, event horizon. I, I, I really, really did enjoy it. It's another one that I do need to to rewatch. Mm. Um, but I, I mean, I'm, you're obviously aware of this. You can very, very keenly feel its influence in Dead Space. Yes, which is one of my favourite video games ever made. I've still not gone through the remake just it's yet. Very, it's very, very good. Yeah, um, it looks a lot of fun. Yeah. I, I'm looking forward to running through that one again. I, I do really enjoy that game. Yeah, there's something about, I mean, in general, I just love, um, I mean, Aliens is the mould, or Alien is the mould, of the gritty sort of like truckers in space, um, realistic, like could be anywhere on Earth, but it's in space. But these are real people. They're not glamorous astronauts and suits and spacesuits and stuff. And Event Horizon definitely feels um, of, of that ilk as well. But it ticked all the sci-fi boxes because it's about space exploration as well as about the betterment of of humankind and development of technology and what we can achieve and where we can go and then it's also like a great cautionary tale and like uh about careful where you tread you know like how far you actually go because there's things out there that we can't even quantify and um have no comprehension of and yeah the 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 way that the um the threat takes over that ship as well is just like incredible i mean it is the ship you know and um <laughs> and also there's that great scene with uh i always forget what his character name is but he calls like they, she nicknames him baby bear in the film and the guy that goes out in the suit but then he voluntarily goes out because he's under the power the spell and then he wakes up while he's in space and then his skin starts like bubbling from the inside out and so it's just like really 
puts the willies up you of what space is really like as well you know a hundred percent yeah mm. it's just the, the the fact it's so vast and you know you don't know what's out there but yeah but also what's such an incredible concept is just okay well there's this you know everyone's heard of it there's a ship that's gone missing it's reappeared where's it been well you won't believe this what's that well to get ftl it goes through hell yeah yeah what an incredible idea but there's this great line in that film which is hell is just a word you can't even like he says hell is just a word and i can't remember what i'm paraphrasing after that but it's something like you can't even imagine what true hell is like you know and it's the thing is like you your little human pea brain can't even quantify how bad this is and it's like and there's those like flash frames in that film where they're watching footage yes. and you see the crew just sort of like holding their eyeballs up and you know, crazy things it's like it's just like next level like imagery in that film. I, I, do you know what? I'm 100 percent going to watch that again. Very, yeah. very. Soon. I recently I'm... bought the. Um, you can only get it in America, but I bought it. I haven't watched it yet. But the um, the 4K special edition of it because it had so many like making of stuff, and you know I don't feel like I get to see enough making ofs anymore. When I was a kid, I watched them all the time, and now they're just never there to watch. Like I think the Marvel films on Disney Plus are like the only place where you can watch this stuff really, and Star Wars, I guess um so i bought it and i was like i really want to watch all the behind the scenes stuff i bought it and i was sitting there on my shelf and i haven't put it in yet but i I've, mainly because it's very easy to just press play on amazon prime or netflix with it yeah um absolutely. but i i i too yeah i definitely lament the whole special features mm. um so i do miss that i have discovered a podcast recently that is i can't believe it doesn't it didn't exist before like you know it's only had a handful of episodes out but what it is, is some guy's just taken dvd commentaries and just stuck them out as mp3s brilliant brilliant yeah why it refers to them as like you know dvd commentaries the original podcast have you ever listened i mean it's kind of famous on the internet as you probably have but the dvd commentary for armageddon with ben affleck no but i do think that is one that's because it's really famous because he doesn't give a fuck and he's just on that and he's like he clearly does not want to do it (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and he's just there and he's just all he's doing is just making jokes and like uh, and i think he's yeah he's on it with michael bay i think and he's just popping fun at like plot holes and stuff and <laughs> pointing out things that are dumb and stuff like that. i have to listen to it again i did watch it a long time ago but it is really good i do remember just very quickly on armageddon i do remember hearing a story about jason isaacs going up to michael bay during the making that and just going wouldn't it have just made sense to like <laughs> yeah. train a load of astronauts to drill rather than drill? And he's told to fuck off. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so there was another film or something that came out recently that had that same idea where it was just like, wouldn't it be easier to train them the other way around? Oh mm. my God, what was yeah, that? Yeah, it's ringing a bell actually. I can't remember what it was, but it does ring a bell. Yeah, oh my God, that's going to my head. Well, sure. um, the 10th film then, Del, I'm going to ask you for. Now, obviously you've developed a reputation on this podcast, particularly as... Dale Hartmaster Driver. <laughs> so you might not have an answer for this one, but what's the last film which scared you? Um, you're right. It was tough. I've seen uh, I've seen horror films in the last few years that I think are great, uh, but I didn't really find them scary. You know, I just enjoy them. Um, but two, I found that really sort of i think scared is a strong word. I think creeped out is probably the word I would choose. Yeah. Uh, but two uh, one one is more like mainstream the other the mainstream one is it i think the first one not necessarily the second one i think i didn't enjoy it as much i don't yeah. think it was quite as powerful but i think the first one especially with scars performance i thought and is like the the design of that clown in that film and the situations they put him in i thought it was 
incredible. And I also got the joy of introducing my wife to that series. She'd never seen the Tim Curry performance. And like seeing her take that in is just fantastic. <laughs> and you know what else? Something I'm, I'm on an it thing now. As a kid, I watched that mini series thing. I never once thought about it or or put it together about the fact that he's like um like a cosmic being or anything. Mm. Like as a kid when I watched it, all it was was just a man dressed as a clown being horrible. Yeah. I never really thought I mean that's I just think, a child's brain, right? But I never really thought about the all the cosmic elements of it before. I think to be fair, I mean when you see like, you know, it and Pennywise, it's a lot more of a marketable image of a scary clown than, you know, <laughs> yeah. unnameable cosmic being. The, yeah. I don't know, have you read the book at all? Because the book goes uh, into that a lot more. Yeah, I haven't read the book, but I've read enough about the book to mm. get the sense. But there's also some like horrible um, sexual scenes and stuff in there as well, isn't yeah. there? Yeah. yeah so. real weird shit in there. Yeah. yeah. And then all, obviously all about the giant space turtle stuff and yeah. all that. It's like, but it's just, it's just surreal because when it came out, I got back into it and then I started doing loads of reading and I went back and watched the Tim Curry one and stuff. And I was like, fuck, this is way more like, yeah, that supernatural mm. cosmic being than I remember it being. I just thought it was an evil clown, you know? And then turns uh, into a rubber spider. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't really think about it too much, <laughs> clearly. But I guess it's one of those things that you have those mental images, those moments that you remember and then you don't necessarily remember. Like Poltergeist is another example earlier. Like that. I remember scenes, but I don't remember the whole piece, you know, because as a child, I'm not, I wasn't necessarily taking in the whole piece. I was just taking in yeah. moments. You know? uh, are you looking forward to the series that they're developing around it? I did not know about this. Yeah. So I think it's called Welcome to Derry. So uh, throughout... Um, the novel, I think the idea with Pennywise, he appears once every 27 years, yeah. consumes, I think it is specifically children, and then disappears. It might not even be children. No, it's, it's the fear, it's, isn't it? It's like he, he has to have somebody afraid of him to, to feed off them. Yeah. Yeah. So I think there's a couple of like little sort of interstitial chapters in the book that tells you like other events in Derry. Yeah, in the past, that, yeah. That have been, you know, uh, prompted by Pennywise. Um, cool. So yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to that. Is it the same? Is it Skarsgård still looking the same in it? I'm or? not sure actually. I don't think it is. I don't think so. But I'd very much welcome it if it if yeah. it were. Actually, it, it's funny you say. I remember I I went back and listened to um I was listening to a series of old IGN podcasts a little while ago, and I went back to the um the episodes that were released around the time that it came out, and I think it was it was Daniel Cooper was saying there was there's an alternate opening scene for it or it part two whichever one it was and it's um this guy he it's in the like the 1800s whatever. he comes off he comes out of a mine or something and goes to a, a bar he's just off work goes and has a beer and there's a, a piano player just you know tinkling away doing the mm. old you know, saloon doors all that sort of stuff and then he just picks up a hatchet and just starts hacking people to death and nobody reacts at all and then the camera it pans over to um the piano player and it's pennywise playing the piano that that would have been such a cool opening that's crazy yeah (laughs) like yeah the 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 lore of of that story like i said like i never really took much interest of it until the the remake came out and then yeah i spent a brief period of time like really getting into it and reading about it and that's when i like i basically read the book in wikipedia form you know like um but that was actually not my choice i think but it's definitely yeah no no it kind of was it kind of was but then i was like thinking about that really creeped me out but then i think what 
weirded me out a little bit more, and I did think it came out in the last five years, is Saint Maud. Excellent. Choice. Yeah. And Excellent choice. again, it is it's that it's very much got that midnight mass sort of vibe to a certain degree as well, you know, like this idea of like somebody so so beholden to their religion and, and it affects the choices they make and they're not rational ones because mm. they make they're making ridiculous choices. And I just there was a great I took my wife to see that and I told her it's oh it's apparently a really scary film and she was she likes scary films and she came with it and afterwards she was like it wasn't really scary was it and I was like no but there was that existential like dread all the yes. way through it there was always that tone of this is horrible and things are just gonna be horrible all the way through it you know like and it never they never felt like there was a a real way out or a moment of of positivity going and um yeah i just felt unease all the way through it so i guess yeah instead of scared it's like what it made me feel unease all the way through it i I absolutely agree with you i think it was the first film that we saw after you know that summer of lockdowns was Mm -hmm. the the first visit back to the cinema that we went to was saint maud and i I remember I, i came out of the cinema and I turned to my wife, Lisa, and I went, that is an absolute fucking masterpiece, that film. And mm. she went, I hate it. Yeah. <laughs> it's divisive, like, oh, right? Brilliant. Yeah, it's one of those. <laughs> it's, it is really, you are right. It is just, it's oppressive, isn't yeah. it? It's just, but I, I, I adore that film. I, I think it's an absolute masterpiece. I absolutely loved it. But I you're right about the oppressive nature of it because it, it's definitely one of those films that I remember and I think it's vivid but I don't want to watch it again <laughs> because I don't, I don't want to put myself in that state of mind yeah, for like an yeah. hour and a half as well. So it's just something I look back on fondly and thinking, well, like what a great piece of filmmaking, but not something I like, I'm going to enjoy the experience of watching again. I think necessarily. Yeah. A hundred percent. It, it does, however, have um, a jump scare in it. That is one of two jump scares that have made me physically jump where I <laughs> lifted off of my seat. Yeah. And the other one, uh, was in Haunting of Hill House with Nell oh. in the car. So yes. <laughs> we've touched on both of those today. Oh, yeah, how the, good was the bednet lady, by the way? Like that that that, that whole running of it. I, oh, I, I plagued my wife with that. Um we lived in a flat at the time and um I could light certain hallways or rooms and I'd be <laughs> I'd be a shadow in the other room and I would stand there like that for as long as it'd take her to notice me and yeah, sent her off a few times. What gr- <laughs> what great imagery that is. That's fantastic. Yeah. yeah, we actually have a. We had to um, inst- instill a rule in our house that we aren't allowed to deliberately make each other jump because oh, really? we simultaneously, both of us, we think it's the funniest thing you can do to someone, yeah. but it's the thing that makes us the most irrationally angry. <laughs> yeah. So we just we have to have absolute armistice. Yeah, you, ha- you have that moment where you're just like, I can't comprehend why you would do that to me. Why would <laughs> Why would you do that to me? And you're like, because it's fucking funny. That's why. <laughs> Oh, incredible! Yeah, Saint Maud. Yeah. I, I adore that film. Mm-hmm. I, I, yeah, I, uh, yeah. It's it's as I said, absolute masterpiece. Yeah. Um, the eleventh disc, disc VHS. Sorry, Dale. I forget that you want these. In it's the all right, mate. It's your show. You call them what you want. <laughs> What's the best? This is going to be a good one. What's the best death or kill that you've ever seen in a horror movie? I mean, I feel like usually that's sort of synonymous with slashers. Um, and I guess I could have picked something like Event Horizon, which I mentioned one earlier about, like, you know, being boiled on the inside out sort of thing. But the first thing that comes to mind is probably for me, like one of the most iconic scenes in a horror film ever. And that is the chest buster coming out of Kane's chest in Alien. Like, what a way to sort of take a film from this is interesting to 
you've changed the game forever. Like that scene changed horror films forever. Like it's been parodied to death. It's still like synonymous with like the just like the visceral nature of of what a thing can do can eat you from the inside out you know metaphorically but in this case very you know literally and um i think it's not only like obviously there's lots of alien films afterwards and there's lots of chess person scenes but none of them hit quite like this one because i think i don't know how well you remember the scene i'm sure you do remember it quite well but there's um there's that moment right where you first crunch and you hear a crunch, but it doesn't come out. Yeah. And there's this pause. There's this there's this crunch, pause, everyone around the table, silence. There's no music. Like in these days, you'd have loads of music building up. But it's just this silence. And then there's pause. And then there's this erratic fidget in. Then there's another crunch. And then there's what uh, from seeing from watching the behind the scenes stuff is like real like blood pack spat surprise hitting people in the face. And what you're seeing around that table, like this is a really wanky thing to say but and it's sort of thing actors say normally, but I'm going to say it was truth around that table. Do you know what I mean? It was like genuine fear in eyes of what is going on here? What is this? And I think nothing has left an impression. Nothing has like changed the game more than that for me. There's a lot of sort of myths around it about exactly how much the actors knew. Mm isn't there but then well, um oh i forget her name or the actress's name uh but the, she's the one that you hear screaming the most saying oh god yeah. and, stuff. and um but for her even if it wasn't it felt like she had no idea like she knew something was going to happen she didn't know that was going to happen um there's definitely an element of surprise in her face when that blood hits as well like, yeah uh-huh. i don't think she's that good of an actress you know like but um yeah, you're right. It's you know it's myth over time, and you know behind the scenes documentaries they could definitely exaggerate the truth for effect. Um, but it feels real. It feels like a moment where, like we've not we've not had anything like this before. Yeah, and you know it, the, the whole film for me is is like is a success because of that scene more than anything. I, I think that one of the reasons that I think it, as you say, like it, it, you get that sort of that sense of reality with it is. And again, it's something that, you know, bad horror films get wrong time Mm. and time again, is that you've spent time with those characters. Mm. You know Mm. what they're like. And it's just the fact that, like, yeah, they've had this thing, but John, you know what? He's feeling a bit better. So we're just going to have some cereal and they're just chatting about, just chatting away about all this sort of thing. It's just so ordinary yeah, yeah. to see when they're just having breakfast and he just has a bit of a cough and he, uh, one of the i can't remember who it is but he makes a joke doesn't he? he's like oh you're right they're choking a bit away. yeah oh god i'm doing terribly i should really remember these names but i forget but i know exactly who you're talking about it's the black guy and yeah, i'm completely I forgetting what his name is character name is yeah um but the um that that's a great point though the bait and switch of it the fact that kane has been um out comatose for a long period and then always oh, come back and the alien that was around his throat has died. And yes, with the knowledge that we have now, it's very easy to see that the pat- what the pattern was. But when people watch that for the first time, you don't, you, you have no, unless you're like very conditioned with the idea of things coming out from bodies, which if I imagine if people watch it today for the first time, they'd be, see the patterns, right? Mm. But in 1979, I'm not that I was alive then, but when I watched it, I was quite young and you didn't know those patterns. Like he, by all means could be all well and you know the the threat is gone at that point and uh, yeah the fact that yeah it re-emerges in what is presented as an extremely like peaceful scene is just like 
absolutely masterful yeah mm. parker hey. is the guy's name as well i just oh, i just imdb'd while i was talking so. <laughs> the stealth imdb <laughs> excellent stuff okay so alien brackets chestburster and lambert <laughs> was that veronica cartwright played lambert and that's that's right see i definitely didn't look at imdb for that <laughs> <laughs> Uh, could I please though have one film from your favourite horror director mm. not everyone has a favourite horror director no and honestly I don't think I do um, mm-hmm. so my first thought was to go to Mike Flanagan but only because I just like a lot of his stuff but then it also felt like, I felt I knew I was going to be talking about him so I felt like I wanted to go somewhere different and he's not necessarily hmm, I don't know what needs to be said about this film but it's not necessarily uh, yeah, a horror director, but he is one of the most important directors. I think is Stanley Kubrick, and obviously the most important horror film he made was The Shining. Um, like I said, I don't know what needs to be said about The Shining that hasn't already been said. But again, what a legacy that film has left, and like the influence that has left over the like the last forty odd years. And like, have you ever seen the film um, Room Two Three Seven? Do you know, I, I I have started watching it. I didn't finish it, but mm. what I did see of it, I was like, this is actually really compelling. You yeah. Know, I, did, I did quite enjoy that. It's a film of, of, of head cases, right? It's yeah. a film It's a film of absolute like, loonies talking about, yeah, all their theories for what Stanley Kubrick was really trying to say in The Shining. And some of them, you definitely feel like maybe there's a grain of truth in there and they always take it to the next level, right? And it's, but the fact is he's made a piece of work that was, so open to interpretation and also he established his legacy was that you can't not look at a single frame and not find something that he's purposely put there like he he was a man of like great intent and the fact that we they can be a film made about all the the random messaging that's in the film that people have just sort of extrapolated from thin air sometimes the crazy lengths people have gone to like people putting the playing the film in reverse then putting the image over and then showing shots that line up perfectly. I was like, do you really believe Stanley Kubrick sat in the editing bay making sure that could happen? (laughs) Or is it just a massive coincidence and you've extrapolated that? But the point I'm saying is the depth of this film for people to be able to make another film what pulls this apart is incredible. And like I said, I think there's elements in truth in those, some of those theories, a lot of them are nonsense, but yeah, what what a masterpiece. And also a masterpiece based on a masterpiece that completely took it in his own direction and decided, no, I'm I I'm fuck you to the book. I'm gonna do my version of this, a Stanley Kubrick version. Yeah, what what a masterpiece. I think that's the thing with adaptation, isn't it? Is that yeah. if you're just gonna do it as is in the in the previous text, sort of what's the point? Yeah. Other than having nice moving images with it. Well, yeah there's some things where you're like when you're reading a book you're like i've got a mental image of what this is i would like to see what someone else's mental image is but i mean it's well documented right cubic in the opening minutes where he's got the 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 real color beetle that's in the book is it a beetle whatever the car is anyway it's a the actual i think it's like a yellow one and it's crashed on the side of the road and he's changed the color and from minute one it's like fuck you, I'm going to do my version of this, you know? (laughs) And obviously, famously, Stephen King didn't like it as well, which is, like, extra interesting, right? Um, But, yeah, what what a legacy that film has left. 
I mean, you started this by saying what else is left to be said about the Shining <laughs> Devil and then proceeded to give the most yeah. eloquent dissection of it. I don't know anything more to add, certainly. But no, I mean, it's I just, it's, perfect. it's one of the most, like, <laughs> one of the most talked about horror films of all time and for good reason. And also, I want to remember, like, rightly, it was like, yeah, there was, like, a lot of negativity to it when it came out as well. And uh, over time, it only grows over time. I went to see it in uh, an IMAX screening um it wasn't like imax width obviously but it was in a giant cinema in, in waterloo um the i forget what it's called like bfi and uh yeah they did a like, an anniversary screening of it and we went to see it again i went to see it with some of the boys from work and i was just like it's still like the music like how can music sound so incredibly dated but so relevant as well and so like attached to the film i so it's so weird the other day i was watching modern family and they did a parody of it. And all they have to do is have a little hint of a riff of that music. that You know, like that sort of tone. And then they had somebody on a tricycle, the camera behind on the tricycle. And it's immediately like, it's so such iconic imagery. And um, yeah, what an influence. That oh, that's another thing I want to say about that. Like they point out in Room 237. It's like the actual design of the Overlook. It's just like, doesn't make sense. And I think mm. we were speaking about it earlier, this idea that, this subconscious thing of something is not right, but I don't know what it is. And it took years later for people to actually map out the overlook and realize it doesn't make logistical sense. Like the building structure doesn't work at all, but it was one of those things that yeah, subconsciously you probably pick up on and you just feel a constant sense of being of unnerving atmosphere, you know? Um, yeah. I don't really like Dr. Sleep though. <laughs> so. <laughs> Yeah, no, I I thought obviously it was it was okay, but I didn't. Well, I wasn't a great fan of it. It was but, a bit dull. Uh, but no, you're absolutely right. That the sort of the sense of like unreality with The Shining as well. It's almost where we were talking about you know the absolute normalcy of Alien. Mm-hmm. So then it trans it transitions into everything's changed now. Yeah, The Shining it almost it feels like a sort of weird dream like state, doesn't mm. it? It doesn't feel real. No all that time but they, but it has such a sense of place it's uh, yeah it's it, 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 the the premise to me is so foreign as well even though it's like i've been to hotels like you know like it should feel normal but the idea that someone or just a family is in charge of looking after a hotel because they shut down for winter is mm. just such a like a foreign concept to me in a very real world and um yeah yeah everything about i mean that's you know that's stephen king's work that part not so much stanley kubrick but um yeah i I can wax lyrical about it for ages i guess but we should probably move on (laughs) there is no room 237 in this hotel uh uh, we've come to your 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 final film i'm going to ask you for tonight Mm. uh what is your favorite horror film from the last five years so uh this did come out five years ago exactly and um you may have noticed picked up on some of my films today that i really like the the wild ride of the cinema experience so being involved with everybody in the room and being taken on a journey through not necessarily always storytelling but presentation and um, for me film that did that in the last five years is a quiet place which i absolutely loved not because i think it's a great film i do think it's a great film but i think of the cinema experience that that presented. I'm a big popcorn eater in the cinema, but not during that film yeah. because that was a different vibe. And like, I think 
the one complaint I have with that film is I think they did themselves a disservice by having some score in that film. Yes, I think 100%. I think it would yeah, I think it would have been better served to be all out not silence, you can hear people every now and again. Like when they you know, they go to the waterfall and they're chatting. I think that's fine. But I don't I don't need score. I would have preferred like moments of pure silence. I wonder film. if they've done a cut of that. I, I wonder because that feels like that would be a really interesting DVD. It does sound actually. like it does sound like maybe something that was, yeah, like considered, right? You you'd imagine so. And it feels like the sort of thing where um what's his fucking name what's jim halpert's name john krasinski john krasinski uh, <laughs> uh he feels like sort of thing where maybe john krasinski because he was like an early director that he had to fight an executive mm. from the studio to put a score in maybe it feels like maybe that was the vision he had and it got taken away from him that's complete conjecture don't know if that's true but it sort of feels like the sort of thing you hear over time is just like well that's my vision for it but it got taken away from me um yes. but i think that's the only thing like i think what an absolute masterclass in tension. And um, also one of those ideas where you're like, I can't believe no one's done this before. Yeah, Like the purge. Yeah. Like, How was that not a thing? Yeah, you know? absolutely. Yeah. Pur- purge. Well, we should have spoke about the purge or something. Yeah. Today. <laughs> um, but, the, go on, sorry. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right in, in the, it's one of those things like, well, yeah, this just makes sense. I can't believe it's not a thing. But mm. Another thing that I'd say, I was on, um, I went on the Hardcore Listing podcast a few years ago and there was uh, one of the people that I did uh, my list with, which was top five UK horror films, was um, 76, who is a music producer and all-round lovely chap. And he made the point that he thinks that comedy actors really understand horror really well because the setup to a scare and the setup to a joke... It's one and the same thing. It's Timing. just a different physical reaction. Yeah. I think, yeah, you absolutely get that with John Krasinski at the helm of it. Definitely, yeah. And also, like, I think, yeah, there is a, obviously a great cross-pollination with, like, comedy and horror. Um, not so much Chris Rock in Spiral. But, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, but yes. But I also, like, so part of, to pull it back to me, um i used to be i've got guitars on the wall right here i used to be i was in a band for like 10 years i played lots of music around the world and um i really felt like my my day-to-day job before i kind of doing what i do now was was just being nuts and bolts editing and i really felt like storytelling for me is all about rhythm and timing and the edit right and the edit and i always feel like i've got a great sense of timing with editing because of music right and again it's it's this keyword timing right it crosses over with comedy and horror as well it's about understanding the peaks and the troughs and the moments when to strike and the moments when to breathe and pause like i said in about that scene in aliens earlier i think it's the moment of pause that makes it way more powerful than the actual thing happening you know and yeah it's all rhythm it's all timing baby it's all editing (laughs) (laughs) it is it is masterful that film and let me tell you it's one film that I couldn't fathom. The it was quite a place too, actually. I could not fathom that that was the one where the, that that was the film that these people behind me in the cinema chose. This is the one we're just going to have our conversation. All yeah, day. crazy. I, was, right? I like I could hear them kicking off. Like they kept going and kept going, and I was like, of all the films to pick, like because I get I genuinely get a anxious about yeah. when I sit down in the cinema. I'm like I'm looking around like right. 
I don't trust you because yeah. you look like you're going to talk all the way through. <laughs> you're on the phone. The trailers are about to come on. I don't mind right now, but as soon as that title card comes off, that better go because I will shout at you. Yeah, I yeah. will channel my inner Gav and I will shout <laughs> at you. I've been so, there when he's done it. It's, 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 always, <laughs> it's always good fun. Yeah. Well, I, just, good. I don't care. I'm, I'm always the one that, you know, my group looks to. to uh, do you want to say something? So then I, I stood up and just said, oh, go. Do you want to shut the fuck up? They yeah. left with twenty minutes of the film to go. Uh, I was like, what were you doing? I mean, I, I, I like it's an expensive ex- date, expensive right? Show. If you're, <laughs> yeah, like go to a restaurant, mate. <laughs> you know, but um, I've I, I've got more cynical as I've got older, and I definitely found myself like I went to see Guardians oh. of the Galaxy Volume Three, but I waited for it to be out for two weeks, and then I went to yeah. see it. And I've definitely become more and more like that now because. I don't mind some noise. I don't mind general people in the room. It's it's when the room is packed and it's people, one person makes some noise so someone else feels like they can make noise. And it's just like this constant yeah. cycle going. And then I, yeah, I'm, I have to be wired into the film. And yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's my tip. Go in the middle of the week and wait for a couple of weeks. That's, that's the dream, isn't it? And also yeah. go on your own. Just yeah. go on your own because you never know. You might get the whole screen to yourself and it's the Ooh. best. <laughs> Uh, the only time I've had that is when I saw Aquaman and that was for work and I saw Aquaman and I was the only person in the room uh, oh. actually there was a security guard in the room because it was a Warner Brothers uh, screening room and you're not allowed to have your phones and they yeah. check they watch you to make sure you're not getting your phone out so it's a very intense experience especially when the film is not that interesting <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's tough for him as well because he's got to be like well do I watch the film do I watch he probably the does it about four times a day as well oh, to be fair yeah do you know, it's funny you say that, actually. I, uh, I, one of my very first jobs straight out of uni, I got a two-week placement in London. And um, it was for a company that was... I mean, I, this company can't exist now anymore. It, it may well do, and they may well do other services. But the main service they provided was putting subtitles onto films and checking transcripts and stuff. Right. Think, well, that cannot be a job anymore now. AI, um, baby. AI that's does it, it for yeah. you now. Descript. Um, yeah. And then... Yeah, so one of the things that we had to do was quality control. So in one week, I watched Hobbit Battle of the Five Armies four times oh, Jesus. to make sure that there was no glitches with the subtitles. Oh, Jesus. Not even checking for like typos or anything, just glitches. Uh, it was audio pops and typos was right. what we were on the, on the lookout for. I've, uh, I've never watched that film once, so oh. I can't understand your pain, I'm afraid. Well, let me tell you, <laughs> it was it's not a good time. It was not a good time. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Well, Dale, that, um, that completes your spooky shelf. What I'll do is I'll, I'll very quickly run down sure. the, the list again, just to remind ourselves of what picks you've gone for. So we've got on your shelf uh, Poltergeist, followed by The Fly... Nightmare on Elm Street, Candyman, Haunting of Hill House, Paranormal Activity 3, Saw, The Blair Witch Project, Event Horizon, which I'm 100% going to watch on my holiday next week, St. Maud, Alien for the chestburster scene, The Shining, and A Quiet Place. Dale Driver, how do you feel about your spooky shelf? Uh, I think the second half is a lot better. <laughs> there was a few in there. Like, I, I, do you know what? I, when I was putting this together, I was never thinking about it as like my collection. I was just thinking about it as moments, you know? So, uh, yeah, I'm kind of starting to regret putting Paranormal Activity free. And <laughs> to be honest, what? no, absolutely. But, yeah. you, you said at the top of this, Dale, we're only going to get the truth. <laughs> that is you. true. Very so... true, yeah. 
That yeah, was, but I, now, I, now like when people see it, they're like, oh, they'll think I'm uncool now. But yeah, whatever. No, I'm, it's I'm the sorry, truth. It's, it's set in stone and you cannot change it anymore. Okay. That's it. Is that it? That's Is that the law? Yeah, Jesus no, that's Christ. it. That's, that's what's going on in your team. Totalitarian yeah. state going on here, man. You're just, like, <laughs> just ruling with an iron fist. Well, I mean, like, you know, should I ever change the questions of a spooky shelf? You're very welcome to come back and have a part to redeem yourself, Dale, hard bastard driver. So, um, Dale, just in case for some reason people know who I am but don't know who you are, where can they keep up with all your goodness? Oh, good I'm work? I'm not very good at social media these days, but um, I'm on Twitter. Um, I've still got a ver- I just want to be clear. I've still got a verified blue check, but that's. <laughs> But that's not because I pay any money. It's through he's work. I'm a, he's, he's sending it straight to Musk. I am an associate of the IGN account, which got a free tick. So I get one as well. Anyway, it's uh, underscore Dale Driver on Twitter. Um, everywhere else. Uh, yeah, I'm not very good at doing it. So, But I would say uh, one thing I do would like to promote is uh, I work for a company called IGN and we have this documentary series called IGN Inside Stories. I'm the executive producer of this show and it's all great mystery documentaries about the histories of video games and movies and it's uh, always i think that you know they're, they're my proudest work i'm very happy with them so i, I would like you know beg for you to check some of that so it's ign inside stories if you want to search them on youtube you absolutely should check them out they are absolutely fantastic i've adored every single one oh thank you those days. they are phenomenal i'm working phenomenal. on one right now that'll be out in a couple of weeks so uh, oh, look forward to that, that. I'm sure you can't tell us what it is. I can. It's know. Final Fantasy VII. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> uh, it's there's already a teaser out there for it. It's about, um, I mean, this is a horror podcast and I'm talking about fantasy game, but it's about the um, Aerith, a character who died in Final Fantasy VII in 1997. Uh, she is a character who died in the game, but every fans will have been for years trying to find ways to bring her back into the game, whether that's um, saying there's hidden secrets for how to do it or a guy who built his own rewrote the script and built his own mod so she's still alive in the game there's super fans that are just trying to keep her alive in all sorts of ways so it's a study into all these people that are trying to bring back Aerith into Final Fantasy that sounds utterly incredible that's the, that's, I, I, I think it's pretty good it's written by a great talent called Matthew Perslow but um, yeah I've produced it and a um, big fan edited. of Matt Perslow yeah he he remains actually the only person uh, to who, when I've written into a podcast or whatever, who has pronounced my surname correctly. So I very much appreciate Matt Pearce. <laughs> I like you said it earlier, and I still don't know. Like, I want to say, on, have a have a go now. Dave. Uh, what do you reckon it is? Uh, Ducaro. Yeah, close enough. Yes, yeah, Ducaro. Ducaro. Oh, that's very <laughs> yeah. close. Yeah, it's Belgian. So. Yeah, he knows it because of uh, Remy LeBeau. That's why I feel like that's the connection. <laughs> <laughs> He's a nerd. <laughs> Excellent stuff, uh, Dale Driver. Thank you so much for coming down and putting up your very own spooky shelf. Thank you for having me. It was it was a good time. Well, there you go. That was Dale Driver on the Spooky Shelf podcast. What an amazing chat. I didn't realise we are getting it quite so into it about Midnight Mass, but you know me, I'm always happy to do that. Remember to subscribe to the Spooky Shelf wherever you get your podcasts, and you can find me at Spooky Shelf Podcast on Instagram. That's the one I use the most. I do occasionally put something on TikTok. I think it's still under just the Spooky Shelf Podcast, but Spooky Shelf Podcast, is that's where you find me. Um, thanks very much again to Cosmin Itchen for creating the incredible photography and artwork for this podcast, to Mike Leach for creating the letterbox list, and to Raul Coley and Mike Flanagan, who got quite a big discussion in this episode and will be hopefully 
recording their own episodes of the Spooky Shelf at some point. I am sure of it. Might as well aim big, right? And Dale's met Mike, so do you know what? We, I feel like we're getting closer. I'll be back next week with another big old Spooky Shelf. Have a lovely week, and I'll see you next time.